and welcome to Annersbrook Church. We hope that this message from our lead pastor, Graham Heslop, both empowers and encourages you. To hear more from our church, make sure you subscribe or visit our website at annersbrook.co.nz for a service near you. All of August. And I really want to encourage everybody that you've got a friend or a family member that you haven't brought to church before, this, do it, do it. God's moving, and uh, this is the year of revival. This is the year of revival. We've been declaring it. And I think it's more than even just a year. It's like a season, uh, uh, an atmosphere. It's a, I, I really believe it's a grace. And uh, God, when He revives, He revives hearts and lives. He's the only one who can do that. Nothing you buy, nothing you can take, nothing you can experience outside of God can do um, that. He, he is God. And there is a key. Um, and there's a number of keys, so not just one, but there is a key that this series is built on, and I want to share it with you. It's very, very simple. It comes from Psalm 78. It says, My people hear my teaching, listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. Whenever you notice things that happen in the New Testament, like a parable is what Jesus told, you get a little hint that this psalm might be more than just about what the psalmist was writing at the time. Okay, I'll, I'll utter through parables, hidden things. Parable is like a story. Things from old. Now, these things we're going to utter, we have heard and known, so they're not unknown to us. Things our ancestors told us. We will not hide them from, our, from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. So the next generation, verse 6 says, would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they, in turn, would tell their children. And they would put their trust in God. That's why. And they would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commandments. There's a spiritual principle, a key that relates to retelling the stories of what God has done. That's different to telling people what you're hoping God's going to do. Faith and hope, they're very important keys. But this key kind of comes back to the things you've seen God do. Um, the things that God has done, not just things you hope for. That, that's, a, that's a key, but this is another key. And the things of God are spirit, right? But whilst the spirit is activated in our spirit, in our spirit man, our heart, and that's why we did what we did just before, it's actually our minds that can either snuff out those things of the spirit, the truths of the spirit, or add rocket fuel to them. It's actually our mind, and God, there's so much in, in the word of, of the mind. In fact, the moment you start talking about what God has done in your life, it becomes an invitation for the impossible to happen again. It's a, it's a spiritual principle. It's a God thing. Psalm 119 says that the testimonies of the Lord, so all that the Lord has done, are my inheritance forever. Meaning that everything that God has done, if I'm willing to grab hold of that and really like say, man, what did God do when he split the Red Sea? that it can be your inheritance forever. So God's promises never actually run out of sustaining supernatural power. You can actually find a moment of God and you retell it to the generations. You retell it to yourself. You retell it to your world. I've noticed that when I've told people what I've seen God do, faith becomes produced in them. And they can actually start believing. They also might experience a wee bit of frustration because faith is a journey of working through. It's like whittling through belief, and then those things that try to snuff out that belief. 
But I've actually noticed this. I've noticed it for a lot of years. That re, There's a specific, specific story that I told someone last week, doesn't go to church, not a Christ Jesus follower, who needed healing. So I told him a story about a healing we saw in our lounge room, radical healing. And as I was telling that to him, his response was, oh, wow, okay. And that's the power of it, okay? In Luke 24, 15, now the same day, that same day, two people were walking, uh, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about what had happened, and the reference to that verse before that is everything about Jesus. So these two people are talking about Jesus, his miracles, the life events, the thing of the cross, the resurrection, trying to get their heads around it all. They can't, and then suddenly... It says, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came and walked along with them. This is after the resurrection. He appears to them. These two individuals weren't talking about just the weather, and they just weren't talking just about themselves. They did what we as believers are meant to do. Part of our tradition, the Christian tradition, is to talk to each other about the Lord. And I talked about this during the brotherhood message in unity, that we got just because you have a friend who's a Christian doesn't actually mean you've got a kingdom friend. You know, you don't ever talk about God, but you, th- you know they're a Christian. It's like, no, you're, you're missing the power of it. So these two are talking, and Jesus manifests himself in that moment. Pretty cool. And I've discovered that key, that when we t- tell stories and retell stories of what he does, he manifests something, what his grace, his power, opportunity, life flows, healing, just, just, just the invitation to more. So this series is a living example of that principle. This is why we're doing this series. We're calling it Tales of Revival. We're basically going to tell stories of revival, and we're going to give some opportunities within that. Tonight's a huge opportunity, uh, but we're going to give some opportunities even this morning to enter into God's ability. We're going to tell the next generation of his power and his deeds, and you just watch what he might do. So I want to tell you about a guy called Smith's Wigglesworth. There's a photo. And I don't, have you ever heard of Smith Swigglesworth? Put up your hand. Okay, quite a few people, good. And Smith Swigglesworth was actually born on 8th of June, 19, 18, 1859. Um, there's no video footage of him at all, at all. So this is the era he lived in. He died before anything got released on YouTube. He became, though, a powerful voice at the turn of the 20th century. God used him in his latter years, in his 70s particularly, to travel the world, and he held revival meetings in Australia and in New Zealand at the Wellington Town Hall. A Pentecostal revival was birthed in New Zealand from this man who traveled by sea to come to New Zealand and preach the word. His main message was, all things are possible, only believe. That was his entire ministry in a nutshell. Well, he was actually born into a really poor family and had to start work at the age of six because he didn't, and he didn't know how to read and write, but because of that poverty, began to work at six. And his parents weren't Christians, weren't believers at all, but he always remembered a longing for God, even as a child. Did anyone here ever experience that as a child? You had a God awareness? Did anyone here? Lift your hand if you had that. I've got my hand up. I did. I think it says something about the nature of God, that children would be attracted to the character and the nature of God tells us something huge, that as we become adults, we overconfuse it, we overcomplicate it, and we start to distrust. But he had a longing for God even as a kid. And what's really amazing was his grandma was an old-time Methodist, and when he was eight, she took him to church. I don't know if you've got grandkids, you should bring them to church. You just never know what God could do. I don't, I don't know if you've got neighbors, you should bring them to church, kids to church. You should just do that. And when he was eight years old, he remembers this Methodist service, 
and these people dancing around with their hands lifting up, singing songs to the lamb. That's, he's got a little bit of old English. I'm going to read some things that he said. So just, you know, it's the era he, he lived in. But that moment, in that moment, when he was eight, he knew he was born again. Eight years old, he knew it. Now, I heard a lot about Smith's Wigglesworth at the end of my teens, and I didn't know that much about him. I was about 17, started hearing about this man that God used, and I thought he was an extra special servant of God, you know, more special than the rest of us. And I guess in hindsight, we can honor him and say that he was. Um, in fact, one time I heard a story. Do you guys remember Fisher FM? 93FM. So when I was 16 or 17, they were holding this morning breakfast thing. Mum and Dad used to play it sometimes in the kitchen. And they said, ring up if you've got a weird, unusual story. And just the last weekend, I'd heard about a miracle that happened when Smith's Wigglesworth was involved. So I rang Fifeshire. And, and the D, DJ picked up. And I said, yeah, yeah, I've got this amazing story. There was this guy called Smith's Wigglesworth. And um, a man came to a meeting, and he had um, no foot so a deformed foot, but basically just the end of his leg, a normal foot, deformed foot. And so he came up and he said, I want prayer. And Smith Wigglesworth said, that's fine. He said, you're going to be healed, but I want you to go home and buy a new pair of shoes. And he said, okay. And he just went home. Man, man prayed for him. Nothing extraordinary happened. Went home, bought a new pair of shoes. And uh, he went home and he put the normal shoe on the normal foot as normal, put the other shoe on this foot where there is no foot. And Smith Wigglesworth had said, do the laces up, make sure you put it on as a shoe. And as he did, he felt a weird sensation in the shoe. And as he felt this feeling, he undid the shoelaces and pulled the shoe off, and there was a fully formed foot that had grown in the shoe. Yeah, the radio DJ hung up on me. <laughs> I told him it just like that. It was too weird. <laughs> so, so... At eight, after he got born again, he led his mum to the Lord, and then later he became a plumber. Now listen to these details, they're really important. He became a plumber, and he actually, he actually got plugged in at a Salvation Army church, and he started a plumbing business. And, he, and it grew and grew the business that he used all of his money, to spare money, to feed the hungry and clothe the poor, right? Then he met at the Salvation Army a lady called Polly, Mary Jane Featherston, who was, was her actual name. And they got married in their mid-twenties. Listen to this. They planted a church away from, they left the Salvation Army Church, and they planted a church, and he admitted that his wife was the leader and the preacher. He was just there to support her. Listen to this. Years into the pastoral role, a strange dynamic took place. He was doing more and more plumbing work, and he started drifting away from the church. In fact, he admitted that his heart was growing cold towards the things of God, and he stopped going on Sundays. He just was like, his heart was in a funky place. And it was to the point where even their marriage was affected. One night, a conflict broke, broke out. I've read this in more than one publication, so I think it's, a lot of these things that I'm telling you are verified um, facts. Smith commanded Polly, his wife, that she had to stop coming home so late from her ministry endeavors because she was out ministering, and it became an argument. And so she said this, well, as long as she was still his wife, Jesus was her only master. At this, listen, his temper fled. He reacted, and he locked her outside the house, out the back door. He locked the door. About 90 seconds later, he hears the front door open. Turned out he forgot to lock the front door. <laughs> and, and his wife walked in laughing. And, and Wigglesworth could not fight it anymore, 
and he started laughing with her. Listen, at that very moment, something shifted inside of me, he wrote, and my heart was rekindled for the things of God. How good if arguments all ended like that, eh? I'm going to believe for one of those. Almost 10 years later, listen, almost 10 years later, he has another revelation moment with God, now like a baptism. So all of these moments in the Holy Spirit, he was introduced to divine healing, and he so desired to understand it because he'd lived his Christian life hearing of it but not understanding it. So he went to a place called Leeds, um, Leeds Healing Home in the UK. It was a place focused on divine healing. And he attended some of their meetings. And then the leaders of that home, after he was there for a few days and like a week or something, had to go away and they said, all right, you need to lead the meetings. And he didn't know what to do. So he just got people up to pray for them. Fifteen people came up for prayer. This is like out of nowhere. And a man came up on his crutches and even before he'd reached the front, he was instantly healed through the crutches, jumped and ran around. So that got him really thinking. He started to, got his attention. And he went back to Bradford and he started healing ministries, the meetings. And, but he still felt at this moment like there was more of God that he really wanted to grab hold of. So he began specifically searching out God, his word, and his promises, where one day in his journals he writes about a certain day. That after hearing these things and reading the promises of God, and God, surely you can, a hunger was sparked in him for four days. All he wanted was to know God and for God to touch him. And so he spent four days seeking God, four days praying. And at this moment, he went to a church over these four days, and a lady, an older lady, came and laid his hands, her hands on him, and fire fell on his life. And he had a revelation of that, in that moment of an empty cross and Jesus glorified. And it seemed to purify him. Anyone ever experienced God's presence and it seemed to purify you? I have. And you just feel clean? And he felt like that. And he sensed this peace. And what's amazing is he began to have more and more. I never knew this. I just thought he was born special. But more and more encounters with God. And the more he had, the more he desired. And I always thought he was just so super special, so chosen by God. But in actual fact, everybody, he was just so hungry. He journeyed through each phase of his understanding, each phase of where he'd got to in God, and he absolutely determined there has to be more. Every time he, he did that, there were so many encounters, it's just, it blew my mind. Sometimes I think we get touched by God or have a moment of God or a little bit of clarity in God, and then we get too easily satisfied. I think there's more for us. I think some of us are living off yesterday's experience, but God still has something new today. And, and I, it sounds easy that, but you have to actually bring yourself to a place of saying, no, I, I have to go on a journey. To take four days to seek God sounds so foreign to us. We find it hard to muster focus for four minutes. And it's like, no, Christ, the fullness of God is in Christ, everyone. And, and it's unlocked for us, but we, we've got to take hold of it. Smith Wigglesworth said this, it's a quote on the screen. If you, if you do not venture, you remain ordinary as, as ordinary as you live. But if you dare the impossible, then God will abundantly do far above all you ask or think. We've got to get back the adventure of the venturing out. We've got to say, I'm born, I'm alive, God has more. I'm going to go, I'm going to go on some, some, some adventures with God. I, I, I'm going to explore God. 
I'm going to dare the impossible. I've got to pack up from this place that I arrived at. I've been stuck here in the same understanding, the same revelation, the same belief about God all this time. I've got to, I've got to move forward. I've got to move on. So he carries on like the Smith's Wigglesworth. Revelation after revelation, encounter after encounter, and God meets him every time. Ask, Jesus said, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and a door will be open for you. In the latter years of his life, things got really interesting. He would only read the Bible. He'd never read any other book or, or newspaper. He'd never would. He said it would pollute his faith. I, I don't know if that's for us or for you, but it's, it's what he did. Then in the latter years of his life, life, every day, all he did, he read the word for 20 minutes and prayed for 20 minutes, and he went on like that all day long. He became so persuaded that God could do what God had promised that miracles would happen even when he sat silently on a train. He traveled on one train, train trip and five people out of the blue rushed up to him, falling at his feet saying, how can I be saved? How can he be saved? And he never even said anything out loud. Listen to some of the miracles he saw. There'd been a girl who had got um, tuberculosis. The parents got hold of him late one night and arrived to say that she's dying. And so he said to them, let me go up to the room. He went up to the room and he said, you guys go to bed. I will sit with her. She will be okay. Shortly after that, she died. He was in the room and he said at that point, it was something like an evil presence. Satan appeared in the room saying to him, I've got her. She's mine. In that moment, he said the whole room turned to brass like he was in hell. And in that moment, he cried out to God for help, and he pleaded the blood of Jesus. All the way through his story, just simple principles. Simple, plead the blood, believe the word, seek God, trust God. Real simple, just simple stuff, guys. You know, it's not, it's not rocket science. You, know, you actually know a lot of this stuff. You, you already do. So he did, and as he cried out in faith, a beam of light comes through the window. It was nighttime, I presume, and landed on her face. And suddenly, color came back to her face. She sat up and got out of her bed completely well. He told that story in Wellington at the town hall. And, and as he told the story, 500 people committed their lives to Jesus hearing that story. Another time, he prayed for a man in Fiji who had been bitten by a snake, apparently poisonous. He prayed for him, and he was totally healed on the spot. Another time... A mother bought her child, a baby. Now, I need to warn everyone, two stories that are going to get a little bit out there. And I do not recommend you just try to emulate. His faith was kind of like out there, right? So we've kind of pre-text that. The, she comes up and says, my baby's died. And sure enough, she was dead. And Smith Wigglesworth um, said that he received the baby and heard a whisper in his spirit, one that could offend most of us. and Most we could um, probably explain it away. He felt he was to kick the baby across the stage. And he kicked it. And the baby landed on the stage, started breathing, crying, totally whole, totally normal. <laughs> Here's another one. Once a woman had a massive stomach issue. They believed it was cancer. He said, in the name of Jesus, come out, and felt the Holy Spirit said, punch her in the stomach. Bang, he punched her in the stomach, and suddenly her stomach was totally made whole. She knew it in the moment, and she was healed instantly. It said in some of his um, journals, sounds of slapping at his meetings. He'd slap some people in the face, punch others, kick others. 
Hey, I don't know if you want to be healed, do you? And, and I know that it's on the violent end of the scale, and I don't, I don't know if you're like new to church, you're like, whatever, come do. Don't worry, you watch Emmy May and other things, you're all good. But listen, I just think the challenge is he never settled and he kept venturing out into the realms of the impossible. Listen to these quotes, okay? It is an insult to ask God for power after you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He said, you have power, you now have to act. So the punching and the kicking and the slapping, it's probably acting out in faith, so much faith that God had to come through. Faith moves first, then God moves in answer to faith. Many of us in this room are waiting for God to move and then we'll have faith. But it's actually the opposite. He said, two things will cause you to leap out of yourself into the great promises of God. One is purity, getting a clean heart, clean life, clean spirit. And the other is faith. And those two should work work in tandem in our lives. Just keep it real simple. God has no room for the man who looks back, thinks back, or acts back. If the Spirit does not move me, I move the Spirit. Like we come to church going, I, I, I wonder if the Spirit will move. Why are you wondering that? Move him. He said, he said, as I start out, this is key, as I started out in the natural, we feel, he said, I start in the natural in faith, the Spirit of God always meets me and anoints me. So that although I start in the natural, I always continue in the spirit. There's three keys from this tale, okay? Number one, that we need to learn how to reactivate hunger. You are never meant to stay stationary in one encounter you had 300 years ago, okay? You've reached a level, cool. Come on, go further. Ask God, what have you got for me? The man ministered powerfully into his 80s internationally. Like, he just believed all the time, there's more. There's more, God's not done with me. And, and I really want to encourage you, every time you read about revivals, hunger is a key. If you're even right now hearing these stories, there will be a hunger rising up in some people in this room. I want that God. And I don't know how you're going to get it, but I know God does. I know that he wants to go on a journey. Don't settle. Get another revelation. Get another moment. Get another bit of clarity. Hey, get another encounter. Two, I reckon we must learn how to keep freshly surrendering. Just learn how to surrender everything you are to Christ. That sounds terrifying right up until the point that you realize, of, can get the band up? That sounds terrifying until the point that you realize what he's got for you in return is greater than what you'll ever surrender. I'll repeat that. Surrendering is terrifying until you realize that what God has got for you in return is far greater than what you can surrender. And listen, if you need forgiveness, get forgiven. He's already forgiven you at the cross. Get forgiven. Confess it. Deal with it. And move on in victory. Stop moping. Ooh. Three, faith is a decision. And this is going to be a challenge for people in the room for this next week and maybe this next month. It is often, he, t- he wrote about the fact that his decision to trust God practically was more important than what he felt. So he said oftentimes he went to pray for people, he didn't feel anything. Until he stepped out, then something took place. Everyone in the room, listen that we have to make a decision to believe, and once we believe, faith will come. What is faith? Don't look at the dictionary. Look at Hebrews 11. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. In other words, you are fully persuaded. And it's not what you see in this realm. There's an abundance beyond this seen realm into the unseen realm. And when you get faith, you can believe to grab hold of it in your life, no matter what's going on. This is simple stuff, just trusting God, believing God, And I really feel like a lot of people, a number of people, that it's just God's calling you to a fresh place 
of coming to Him, stepping out in faith. I really pray that we get, we get this under our skin, that step out in faith. There's probably a ton of miracles. I wish I could tell you a story about a boat, but I don't have time. Except for the story with the boat never happened until I took a step of faith. And that's all I'm going to say because I heard a whisper in the kitchen that actually God had already provided and so now I took a step of faith. I've seen it happen. You can see it happen. You could be at the road and see a need. Step out in faith. Do something practical. Say, can I pray for you? And in that moment, let God turn up. Have faith in God. Believe God. Go to the Word. And I'm really aware that what God did in Smith's Wigglesworth, birthing entire church movements, healing sick people, raising the dead, that God did. I can't do it for you. I, mean, I, can, t- I can tell the story. But I just feel like God wants to do it again. God wants to do it again. I'm aware that God's Spirit is here today. And I'm also aware that He just needs you to give Him permission and access. Don't overthink it. Just believe. Just choose. Okay, I'm going to believe God for some good stuff. I don't know what that's going to look like. Come hungry. Some of us actually need to come hungry. Can I get you to stand to your feet? He only needs permission. He only needs an invitation. He only needs a moment. Just a moment of time. He just needs, I I think even just a crack in the doorway. That's all he needs. And he wants to move. And I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. We trust you enjoyed this message. And if you're wondering what the next step in your faith journey looks like, please get in touch. You can either visit our website or email us at info at annasbrook.co.nz. 